When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome into another edition of the Strictly Stripes podcast. Muhammad Ahmad joined by Mike Nislik. Andrew Gillis has the afternoon off. And again and again and again, if you have not signed up for Cincinnati Football Insider, make sure you do it. If you want the best insights and exclusive, I truly mean exclusive bonus content on the Bengals every day from the largest group of journalists covering Cincinnati, make sure you sign up. It's only $4.99 a month, but you're not going to be charged until the end of that trial. Make sure you go to cleveland.com slash Bengals. Click on that blue banner at the top of the page and send the text message if it's easier to 513-949-4147. Now, Mike, I was thinking about this. So obviously, this game Sunday that the Bengals have against the Steelers, it was originally scheduled as a Sunday night matchup uh, at 8.20. But I think with the way Pittsburgh has been being 3-6 and six coming out of the bye, uh, out of the Bengals' bye week, you know, the NFL flexed that to a 4.25 game. And in some ways, it makes you wonder, is that a blessing for the Bengals? Because even though they're the better team on paper – this is crazy. They have lost 23 of their last 24 primetime games on the road. And if you want to look at just night games, this is since 1996. And since 1996, they're 13 and 30 in night games, whether it be Sunday night or Monday night. I mean, I don't know. What do you think? Is, is there really a, a curse to that or is that just kind of dumb luck? I mean, obviously, uh, luck probably plays a role. I mean, most of the current team wasn't part of a lot of those uh, those losses. But in terms of you know, fans feeling better about the game, it probably helps. Um, and, and players like getting home a little earlier. Um, they don't like playing those those sort of at-night games uh, all the time. And they've played a lot of them already this season. They have more to come. Uh, so this kind of, I think, is better for their schedule in terms of kind of balancing it out. Because what, I think Buffalo's in prime time, Baltimore's in prime time at the end of the year. Uh, uh, Buffalo's in prime time. Baltimore, Baltimore to be determined. To be determined, but we, one, it yeah, could be a prime time game. It could be a prime time. So, I mean, they've got... Uh, plenty of times to play at night. Um, yeah, no, I think that it, it's just sort of a, a weird stat. Those things kind of amass over time. But current players probably don't think much of it. Or I would, I would imagine most don't even know of that. And I don't really think it bothers them. I know for Zach Taylor, I actually asked him about it before the Baltimore game a few weeks ago because that was a night game in Baltimore that we went to. And he was like, you know, kind of uh, along the lines of the passes in the past. And, you know, it is a little bit skewed because, like, since 96, I mean, between that point and the Carson Palmer era, I mean, the Bengals had, like, three number one overall picks. Like, they were one of the worst teams in the NFL. So, 
I think since 96 is a little misleading. If you go back to maybe like that Carson Palmer, A. Dalton era, it's not as bad. It's closer to like a little below 500 versus 13 and 30 at night games since 96. But Well, and you got to think if you're in prime time, you're playing a good opponent. Right. So you're not you're not playing the worst teams because you know you're, you're highlighted. So exactly. You're you're uh, you know I guess the the better stat might be uh, to to go on top of that. What was the winning percentage of the teams you faced? Exactly. Because that might make it a little more balanced. Because if it's you know if you're facing bad teams, you have that record, then you got to be concerned. But if you're facing some of the best teams in the league every time you're in prime time, that's probably why that adds up. Yeah, I mean like that Baltimore game is a good example. I mean Baltimore is. Uh, they're the number three team in the AFC. They lead the AFC North for good reason. Um, and it was a close game. I mean, it's one that just got away from the Bengals. But, yeah, that was a good team. And, I mean, really, you go back the last 10 years, a lot of those losses, you know, were really pretty good teams for the most part. And even the ones who weren't, I don't think those got away from the Bengals. But, you know, kind of focusing on the here and now, you know, like I said, they're 5-4. and four. A lot of the players look at it as a new season being in the second half. And, there's going to be a lot of different things uh, on both sides of the ball that the Bengals have to face against Pittsburgh. But uh, defensively for them, the biggest thing is you're going against Kenny Pickett under center versus Mitch Trubisky, who the Bengals faced in week one. Uh, Pickett's been – I don't want to – I'm going to be a little nice. I don't want to say he's been horrible, but he has been anything but flashy. He's been 2-3 and three since taking over at under center uh, in place of Trubisky. Two touchdowns, eight interceptions in that stretch. Not a good look. But here's the interesting stat on the flip side of that. The Bengals are 1-7 against rookie quarterbacks in their last eight games. And that one win they had, that was against the Jaguars last year who had Trevor Lawrence, who was a rookie. And even that took a double-digit cutback you know, to beat the Jaguars on Thursday night. But it just makes you wonder, does that change with Pickett? Are the Bengals just, do they get shell-shocked by rookie quarterbacks? Because you look at Lamar Jackson, his rookie year, beat them. They, they, he beat the Bengals in his first start. Baker Mayfield sweeps the Bengals his rookie year, and he swept them last year and the year before. Kyler Murray, in his fifth-ever NFL start his rookie year, beats the Bengals. I mean, is just just something that haunts the Bengals, or what do you think? Well, I think there's some unknowns to it. I mean, if you're facing a guy, um, maybe you don't know necessarily what to expect. I think there's a lot of film, uh, uh, you know, uh, of Kenny now uh, in terms of you, you've got some time here to kind of prepare. Uh, his college tape, obviously extensive. I mean, he was a starter uh, for, you know, four-plus years there at Pittsburgh. I covered him four years, uh, four games against Virginia Tech. Um, and his trajectory uh, during his career, collegiate career, was pretty impressive. You know, uh, really kind of that extra fifth year he got because of the COVID year, uh, made the most of it and, and, and vaulted him, to, him into a first round pick. I think he's a talented and I wouldn't bet against him long term. But I think right now uh, in terms of uh, and I know we're going to probably talk a little bit about Chase Claypool uh, departing, you know, losing some of his offensive weapons. This is a team very much rebuilding. Um, and I think there's going to be some lumps. And, and I don't think he's going to be able to carry this team. You mentioned a couple of those quarterbacks. You know, Kyler Murray, Lamar Jackson, obviously uh, much more dynamic in terms of being a dual threat. Kenny Pickett uh, does have some mobility, but obviously, you know, he's kind of a pocket passer. So um, it should be an interesting challenge for a Bengals secondary that obviously um, now is going to feature Eli Apple and Cam Taylor Britt here going forward. Uh, their debut against the Panthers didn't play a lot of plays together just because, you know, the team, what was it, 40 plays? As, as yeah, something Panthers along ran. those lines, yeah. Um, so this will be, uh, I think, more of a true test. Um, in terms of, you know, they're going to probably pass it quite a bit 
Um, and I think this will be a good test for that secondary to kind of come together and, and try to, in its new look without uh, Chidobe Ouzier, um, you know, show what they're capable of because, you know, this is what Pittsburgh's got now. I think it's pick it or bust here, and that's what this offense is going to be kind of built around, I think, going forward. Yeah, I love that. Pick it or bust, I think, is the quintessential way to sum that up. But, you know, you talk about, like, what you see from him and how you don't want to bet against a pocket pastor like him. You know, I think in some ways he is more athletic and mobile than Mitch Trubisky. I know you said earlier this week he's not yeah, like Tom I, Brady mobile, but do, do you think no, no, he is no, that much more he's mobile? He's mobile, but he's not. Uh, Trubisky's much more of a mobile quarterback, I feel. I mean, I, I, uh, as a, growing up in Chicago and watching the Bears from afar, you know, last you know couple of years, um, you know, I, I followed Trubisky a little bit, and he was a quite, you know, he had an ability to really scramble and extend plays and even run design runs. That's not really Pickett's game. I mean, he will burn you uh, if you, you know, it, more of a Joe Burrow type, I think is a little more athletic, but, you know, Burrow will take, you know, he can break out a 20-yard gain when there's nothing on the side of the field and make you pay for it. And, and I think Pickett's more of that than than sort of the, um, you know, he's going to be a great scrambler out of the pocket. He's not going to just sit there and, and take hits, but um, I think he's he's sort of, you know, he's not going to beat you with his legs. I mean, that doesn't mean he won't take a run if it's there, uh, but he's not, uh, he's not a dual-threat guy that you have to worry about. This is... That that's not his strength. He's gonna you know step back, drop back, and and try to distribute the ball, um, and be more you know a, a, the goal would be to be a Joe Burrow, have those type of numbers, high completion percentage, maybe not a ton down the field, but you know um, getting it to his playmakers and letting them kind of kind of run with it. Yeah, and I mean even with Trubisky, who like you said is a little bit more of that mobile quarterback. I mean he wasn't really all that against the Bengals. Threw for under two hundred yards and just one touchdown. Didn't have any turnovers, but it wasn't the most high-scoring game to begin with. So, you know, I think for the most part, they did their job on that end. I mean, really what lost the game for the Bengals is just a wonky, wonky offense well, that Joe I, Burrow wants to forget. You've seen, I mean, basically Pittsburgh, I mean, they won last week, but, that, you know, they had to overcome a lot. They gave up 12 sacks over the last two games, six in each game, um, and that's not a winning formula. No. And, and the Bengals haven't been able to do that this season. Um, you know, they've, they've gotten a lot of quarterback pressures. They haven't been able to get – uh, quarterbacks down. I think that this week, if they can um, uh, up that pressure, kind of consistently get guys in the backfield, uh, you know, uh, Hendrickson, Hubbard, uh, and bring and hit Pickett and bring him down. And maybe um, DJ Reader. Maybe DJ Reader if he's back. I think that that'll certainly help. Um, I, I think that would go a long way to. And, and I wouldn't be surprised if they did um, uh, blitz, blitz a little more, just because you know you're throwing more at these guys, these young quarterbacks especially. I mean, I know you worry about the secondary kind of holding up with the now with Cam Taylor Britton there and some of the you know um, up and downs you've had there in the in the last couple of weeks. But I think that if you up the pressure a little bit, given things to think about, especially in that first half, I think that would help you kind of uh, in this game to sort of set the tone. Yeah, we haven't really seen too many blitzes from the Bengals, but you know, one interesting stat is that Sam Hubbard and Trey Hendrickson have combined for something like. I want to say between them, 27 quarterback hits, but they only have about seven, seven and a half combined sacks. And so going back to Reader, who we talked a lot about, and hopefully he does suit up for Cincinnati this week, if he can bring that into your pressure, um, and he was just as effective on the pass rush as he was on the uh, run defense when he was you know playing those first two and a half games, just as effective on both fronts. And if you can bring that pass rush, it makes Sam Hubbard and Trey Hendrickson's game a lot better and I think Sam Hubbard's honestly 
having the best season of his career. Che Hendrickson's having an encore from his best season of his career last year. And it just makes you wonder. I don't think much would be different from this Bengals defense. They've, they're still a top 10 defense in the league. But if you have DJ Reader, if he wasn't gone those six, seven weeks, man, how much more different would it be for Hubbard? Like Hubbard might have pro bowl level numbers. Hendrickson already does. And you just add on to that. Um, so that is something to keep an eye on. But, you know, still, as you look at the Steelers offense, I think one interesting spot of struggle is i don't know if it's maybe struggle but with Najee harris he's been doing fairly well on the ground he's averaging i think just over three and a half yards per carry which is about what he ran for last year closer to four but what's interesting is how he's been catching the ball they used him a lot in the past last year and he had about six and a half yards per catch well now he's down to just four and a half this year and i know a lot of it is because they've got jalen warren their undrafted rookie at running back um, they've kind of put him in there a lot, and I think that's part of their offense where, you know, they just kind of grind out the claw, kind of grind out the yards. But it makes you wonder, like, is it kind of Najee just maybe not showing the flashes of last year? Or is this Steelers offense not as efficient as it could be with him? Well, it's interesting, too, when you go back and look at that first game is that, you know, they're up 17-3, to uh, three, and they don't really run the ball. You know, they, they couldn't run the ball at all. They couldn't kind of grind out time. Couldn't kind of hold on to it uh, for any any length of, length of time because they couldn't run it. So Harris had 10 carries in that first game for 23 yards. Chase Claypool was actually the most effective rusher. He had six carries for 36. Uh, That's crazy. And, and, and they had 75 yards overall, and, and they really couldn't run it, um, you know, uh, at, at all efficiently uh, against the Bengals. And so, um, you know, will they try? Will they try to stick with it? Uh, you know, with Pickett at quarterback and try to, you know, relieve some pressure. Can they? You know, I think the, the, the big thing will be, you know, how that opening of the game goes, especially if the Bengals can come out hot like they did against the Panthers. You know, that wouldn't be something they'll be able to do. And that's kind of been the – Bengals, the Bengals have been obviously best when they've dictated how the kind of game goes. When they've scored first, they've been playing with the lead. They're much better. The defense is, is able to be a little more aggressive, uh, and they've shut teams down. So, um yeah, I, I don't know that, you know, that they'll have to do something differently, obviously, than that first game because they had no success uh, rushing the ball against the Bengals. And with Reader coming back, it'll be that same front, you know, you, you know um, that they faced. And it, it'll be interesting to see it, what how the game plan changes with some of the, uh, obviously, Claypool's gone. We've mentioned that. Trubisky's out. Um, what does that do for Harris in this game? Uh, what is his role going to look like? Yeah, and I think if you do try to get those checkdowns in those uh, short yardage situations, passing the ball if Pickett's not going to go deep and he wants to maybe just kind of check down to Harris well you got Jermaine Pratt and Logan Wilson who cover that stretch of the field and they have been nothing short of spectacular on that end and Pittsburgh was terrible on third downs in that first game four of 15 oh yeah so they you know both teams ran just a a ginormous amount uh, of plays and so um you know neither team probably wants that kind of game I mean Ted, Ted Karras was joking about you know, 102 plays. That's not. That's not fun. <laughs> no. um, but uh, and the Bengals. You know, you look at it. Had the ball for 43 minutes. So it was such a weird game that they still lost. Um, it, it just feels like without those turnovers, they. You know, they're heavily favored. Obviously, I think it's five and a half. Um, they're the obviously the better team. You know, it's on the road still, but it just seems. Uh, you know, magic would have to happen for Pittsburgh's offense for you know, or again another just disaster with the turnovers. Uh, for them to sort of pull this out yeah that's uh gonna be something to look at but you know speaking of turnovers and uh what changes in secondary we'll have that when we come back on the strictly stripes podcast as we talk about chase claypool being gone 
what changes, what doesn't change, and much, much more. You're listening to the Strictly Stripes podcast. And thanks for staying with us on the Strictly Stripes podcast. So one of the most interesting trades at the trade deadline a few weeks ago was the Steelers trading wide receiver Chase Claypool to the Chicago Bears for a second-round pick, which if you think about it, that's essentially the, St- the Steelers refunding Claypool for what a second-round pick, which is what he was. He was a second-round pick out of Notre Dame uh, back in 2020. So in some ways, you you refund him. And to me, I, I still just don't get it because he was not a bust, anything but a bust. I mean, sure, they weren't high enough to get him earlier than the second round. But for what they got out of him, I mean, he was – pretty much their best receiver the last few years. And in his words, I think he's the one that said it. He claims he's a top five wide receiver. And honestly, I don't know if he's top five, but he's up there. His numbers were up there. And before they traded him, he had 32 catches and 311 yards and a touchdown before that trade. And in some ways, I think it's kind of unfortunate for for him because it just looks like, you know, they didn't see him as kind of a red zone threat or a deep ball threat. And like they just sort of formationed him away from those things. And I think because of that, he didn't have those big time plays that could have easily inflated his stats more than, you know, the moderate numbers that he had. And so uh, it just makes you wonder, is that going to hurt them against Cincinnati? And in some ways, does that help a Bengals secondary that is still facing its first two tests since Chidobi Awuzie's injury? Well, I think that they made essentially a decision that they liked uh, Pickens um, kind of going forward more than they did uh, Claypool. Pickens, I actually covered a little bit uh, his recruitment uh, when I was at Auburn. Um, you know, he, he was uh, considering them in Georgia, and I, I think he's a really talented uh, receiver. And so, you know, 6'3", 200 pounds, uh, a really big body, and so I think uh, they viewed it. Uh, they also got Deontay uh, Johnson, who's their leading receiver this season, and they throw a lot to their uh, tight end, uh, Pat uh, Freemuth, Friermuth. Friermuth. Um, so that's a uh, mouthful. The, yeah, it's a, <laughs> out of Penn State. Um, so you know they have some options in the receiving game. Obviously, uh, production's kind of down for the whole group because they've just not been um, very consistently effective. But I think uh, Pickens is is a pretty good uh, receiver to step in and kind of you know get kind of get the bulk of the work there for Claypool. He was already you know had more production this season, averaging twelve point eight yards per catch. Um, and I think he's a really really good receiver. He'll be a very um, you know a challenging. Um, player to defend with, um, you know, the, the corners off of the Bengals don't have that kind of size. Um, and, and so I, I think that's still a, a tough matchup to, to kind of watch, you know, in terms of losing another option. Obviously, you're not as deep, but, you know, they, they incorporate uh, multiple tight ends to what they do. And so, I, I th- and like you said, they throw a lot uh, to their running backs. I think combined right now, they have 39 catches on the season that they're that Warren and Harris. And so uh, uh, they're not lacking for offensive options. Uh, with with Claypool out, I just think it's kind of um, you know when you've got um, got you, when you, you don't you don't need similar players you know that can do the same thing. So when you when you got when you like when you basically decide Pickens is your guy, Claypool becomes sort of um, you know expendable. Yeah, and with Fryermuth, you mentioned him. I mean, he was one of the leading receivers back in that Week One game. Five catches, seventy five yards. Harris had the receiving touchdown because, like you said, and like I mentioned, they go a lot to the running backs in the air. So that's where, you know, you got to think about Von Bell and Jesse It's surprising you mentioned that uh, no red zone targets for Claypool, but, I mean, they've been struggling to get through to the receivers in the row, you know, at all, uh, you know, scores. Yeah. I think they have uh, 
two touchdowns for their entire receiving core. Claypool had one, Pickens had the other. Um, only six uh, receiving touchdowns, uh, you know, all season. So, I mean, that shows you, uh, you know, offensively this team is struggling to score <laughs> and struggling to sort of get to their playmakers uh, into the end zone. Yeah, and th- this is crazy. I think I saw the stat that they don't have a touchdown, a receiving touchdown longer than 10 yards. I mean, obviously there's not. I mean, it was only that's six crazy. touchdowns. So, that's and crazy. And Claypool actually threw one of the touchdowns. <laughs> and, and that's so, just like, man. So it's, it's, and he has the highest quarterback rating on the team, 118.8, um, with one pass attempt. But uh, you can kind of see where, when you're kind of going through those numbers, where they're struggling. Obviously, um, you know, defensively, they're going to stay in games just because they have an overwhelming amount of talent on that defensive front. And they got T.J. Watt back. Um, but that offense is just not good right now. I mean, it's, it's, it, it's I mean, bad. They're resetting and rebuilding, obviously, coming off uh, Roethlisberger uh, you know, a couple years ago. Um, and they're trying to find answers, um, but it doesn't look like they've found them this year. And I think things are still, you know, still very much a work in progress uh, for this team. Yeah, and it's Mike Tom. I mean, obviously this is – probably going to be the first year of his career where he has a losing record because, I mean, that's crazy. He's not had one losing record since taking over as a head coach. But, yeah, it's just – it's a rebuilding year. Obviously, they have a lot of good pieces like, you know, uh, George Pickens and Najee Harris and Deontay Johnson. But, yeah, with Pickett and then Claypool leaving, yeah, there's a lot of issues there. I mean, they get, they've given up a lot of sacks. Their O-line's really not all that. Um, I know we've talked about the Bengals' offensive line, but I'd say Pittsburgh is even worse. They've had way more struggles with that. And so, yeah, the way they're playing uh, is not a winning formula. But, yeah, it's it's a reset for Pittsburgh. I honestly think they'll be way more competitive next season, so I wouldn't write them off long-term. But in the short term, it's just a year that they're going to want to move on from and forget about. But I don't know. I mean, like we said uh, – that that's going to be the thing to watch for is like how do the Bengals like we mentioned earlier in the show like how do they do against Pickett how do they do against you know those rookie quarterbacks they haven't seen him play in person obviously they've got film on him but watching film versus you know what they've seen in person it's changed I mean they saw a lot on film against the Browns with Jacoby Brissett who they hadn't faced before and then you know I think there's just a, a lot of looks they didn't expect and so vice versa same thing like they didn't expect a lot of those looks that they got on defense. The Bengals did. So that'll be a thing to watch is kind of what they see in game versus film. But to kind of wrap up here, you know, we've been doing this for a while. So just going to have some fun with it. A little throwback Thursday action. I know last week was kind of an interesting curveball, but this is a more fun question. You've been doing this way longer than I've ever been doing this uh, job being a sports reporter. So with that, you've covered a lot of great, amazing games. If you had to pick one and narrow it down, what would you say is the most thrilling game you've covered as a sports reporter? Um, that's a good question. If you are putting me on the spot. Uh, <laughs> my memory is terrible, too. It's hard to even remember. It's like a time. COVID, I think, ruined time. It so, really did. Uh, probably um, the it was a six-overtime game between – uh, North Carolina and Virginia Tech a couple years ago was the first game in the NCAA that uh, took advantage of the new overtime rules where they went to the two-point conversions back-to-back. Yeah. Um, and that, as a sports writer, is like the most miserable experience <laughs> because usually when you're in overtime, you're trying to, you know, you're trying to get something to write and have as the At game the buzzer, ends. yeah. And, but like two-point conversions are so fast. It's one play and it's from the two-yard line. And so you're trying, like literally rechanging the, the story every attempt because like you only have two like 
20 seconds in between like the plays and so it was after the was it after the second overtime they go to it and so um it was it was crazy it was six overtimes uh, the virginia tech starting quarterback got hurt they had they tried the backup then they went to the third string he scored they had to come back in the game to force overtime um and you know it was a wild wild game that was probably i mean not as much of a consequence just because it's virginia tech north carolina in the middle of the season but a fun game six overtimes notable since obviously anytime something happens it's like the first game in history uh to do something is uh is is notable that probably ranks up there um but i'm probably forgetting something because like you said you've done this for a while yeah done this for a minute um but um yeah that was that was probably that was probably it what about yourself well you're gonna like this one i've told you about this but i'll kind of refresh your memory so when i was a senior at the university of kentucky the last ever game I covered for the student newspaper because I had graduated uh, that December of 2019, my last ever game was the Belk Bowl, which Virginia Tech played UK. So we were both in the same place and didn't even realize it. Like, yeah, you know, true. I just realized that we were in the same place and didn't realize it. It's true. Like we would have crossed paths and not know we were going to be together three years later. That's but crazy. yeah, that game was crazy. Um, Kentucky, I think, was down. I have to go back and refresh my memory, but they were down most of the second half. A lot of turnovers really just did not look good from Lynn Bowden, who was their quarterback, who was a wide receiver one turned QB one because their two quarterbacks got hurt. And so that was an interesting move. But, yeah, it was with like less than a minute to go. He threw a touchdown to Josh Ali when Ali was not even supposed to get it. It was supposed to go to their bigger tight end slash wide receiver. He was more of a tight end, but his name was Ahmad Wagner. He was supposed to get it. The coverage they got wasn't what they expected. So he throws to Ali. And that was to go ahead touchdown when they were down like what thirty to twenty four, and the defense held strong and they won that game and that was crazy because that was Bowden's last game as a Wildcat. Uh, it was just so celebratory and it was an interesting cap off to a season that no one expected would end like that. No one expected him to be starting at quarterback when he was a wide receiver one and a really good one at that. But it was so thrilling the way it ended and what it meant and. I was actually on the field for the last two minutes of the game. So I was on the field when he threw that touchdown. So I was there when they were rushing the field. And uh, that was probably one of well, those that, the exciting moments. You skipped over the most interesting part of that game was there was a pregame fight. Yes, and yes. Involving Lynn Bowden and who said that Virginia Tech players uh, had said stuff to him earlier in the week. And uh, there was all this back and forth at the uh, – there was a NASCAR pregame thing yeah. a couple days before the game. Um, and so there was a fight. And he threw a punch, and the, the fans were upset that he should have been kicked out of the game. That also create they, that led to the uh, Belkable rule, essentially. Yeah. Where um, now, because the officials didn't have to be uh, weren't in charge of the field ninety minutes before game, so it was I think only an hour, and so now they bumped it up, and that they said officials now do have control of the field earlier, and that they have to, and players can't be there like unsupervised. So that doesn't happen again because uh, he was not flagged and there was no punishments or anything. But, um, yeah, that was a – and that was Bud Foster, Virginia Tech's longtime defensive coordinator's yeah. uh, last game. And that, so he did not go out on a high note. Um, and I remember that was a, a, in the press conference for, for Virginia Tech. I don't know if – they weren't in the same room, right? I think, well, Fuente, the head coach, and Stoops were in the same room because I actually right, so, was oh, there. Right, so for, for Fuente, this reporter was like, uh, you know, I'm really sorry – about this and, and he's like well nobody died and so that was 
Wait, that was me. Was that you? I was like, oh, I'm sorry for your loss. And he was like, oh, there's nothing to be sorry about. That was me. That was you. You have a, give a good memory. Yeah, yeah that was me. Yeah. Yeah, man. I'm, that is so crazy that you remember that. I was the one who said that because I was writing a story and I used um, one of the quotes he had from that after he said that. That's, he was like, because you were really sad about it. And he said, well, I was just trying to be respectful. He was trying to cheer you up. He's like, nobody died, man. It's okay. Well, oh, I, I, I don't know. I didn't know how he felt about the loss. So like I was scared. Oh, if he's upset, maybe let me try to tread lightly because I'd never covered the guy. I didn't know how he handled losses. Because I had, I had a bad experience with Mike Anderson, who was Arkansas's basketball coach. So uh, I learned from that. I was like, okay, let me try to ease up on him after a big loss. Well, you got him to smile after a loss, which was a rarity. So there you go. Well, there you go. That, man, he just took me down memory lane. That was a blast. Well, once again, for myself and Mike Nislik, I'm Muhammad Ahmad. Thank you for joining us. Come back on with us tomorrow as we have our final previews and predictions ahead of the game. But until then, take care and enjoy the rest of your day.